Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As President Biden arrived in Texas on Friday, his first visit to what's become an unlikely disaster zone, he told emergency workers they were doing God's own work. It's our fellow Americans are hurting, and it's our job to help everyone in need. Texas is still reeling from an unprecedented energy disaster, where unusually cold temperatures and heavy snow brought the power grid to a standstill. This created a really, really terrible situation for people because they were extremely cold with no power, no heating, limited cell phone signal, no internet, and now no water. And now, as the ice melts and the recovery continues, the blame game has begun. We know that they are liars and they don't care about any of us. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times, I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the blame game. What really happened in Texas? Many of us have referred to this storm as Hurricane Harvey, the winter edition. Chriselle Palais is the director of a charity that's been dealing with the devastating effects of Hurricane Harvey on Texas since 2017. It's the Houston Organizing Movement for Equity. Also known as the Home Coalition in Houston, Texas. The arrival of a freak snowstorm in normally humid Houston was initially huge fun for Chriselle and her two daughters. I like it when it snows because we can build snowmen and play snowball fight and make snow angels and stuff. Sky, what were you thinking? I was thinking I was going to play. I am five years old and I'm, it's about to be my birthday. That's Chriselle's daughter, Sky. I'm going to be six. And Sky's older sister, Faith. My name is Faith Bastai Palais and I am nine years old. But for the Palais family, things began to deteriorate rapidly. The snow came, the ice came, and now the electricity and the power is going out. And then that was compacted by the lack of water. The temperatures stubbornly hovered around freezing, often plunging much lower. When you came outside, that's when we discovered that our water wasn't working. What did you think about that? 
I wasn't happy because I usually brush my teeth in the morning. What about you, Skye? I was thinking that I would, I, um, I would never drink water ever again. But it came back, but then we lost electricity. And my family ended up going to one of my cousin's homes because she had electricity. I felt scared, so I kept on holding on to my breath because you kind of swerved on the black guy, so I got scared if we could crash. The water at my cousin's house also was not working. We were able to use pool water to flush the toilets. And it's just so, I would say, interesting, for lack of other words, that we literally were experiencing some of the same things that the U.S. typically looks down its nose at what we call third world countries. And here we are in the energy capital of the world with shoddy electricity and water not flowing. How paradoxical is that? In the last fortnight, a harsh winter freeze descended on the normally sunny state of Texas, with temperatures hurtling as low as minus 18 degrees Celsius. Social media was filled with images of icicles hanging down from indoor ceiling fans and backyard swimming pools frozen over. Now, as the state begins to thaw, Texans are asking, how did this happen? How did the residents of America's second largest state, already battered by COVID-19, find themselves without power, without heat, without water, burning their belongings just to keep warm? Electricity has been out for about eight hours, so I'm using batteries and bricks and charging through the car and running to a neighbor's house and that kind of thing. So electrons are scarce and valuable. That's the voice of Michael E. Weber. He's a professor of mechanical engineering at the University of Texas. He's also a technology officer at NG, a global energy firm based in Paris. We spoke to him in middle of the blackout at his family home in Austin, Please excuse the quality of the line. With the power gone, he was eking out what was left of his phone battery. Looking out my window, there's ice on the roads and a lot of snow. So it just looks like a winter wonderland. There's a serene beauty to it, which is bizarre. Bizarre, because Texas is not known for its cold weather. Usually we have to go to Colorado or someplace like that for this kind of scene. And yet, for much of the last fortnight, Texas has been hit by an unprecedented cold spell the kind of weather which the state's infrastructure just wasn't prepared for. Within hours, it paralysed the power grid. Authorities say the full death toll from the winter storm will take months to confirm. Well, good evening, everybody. David Paul with you. We are live in the KHOU 11 Weather Center. It is, uh, it is becoming a, a real winter mess out there right now. I was just out on Westheimer here just a little bit ago. Heavy sleet. My truck slid just a little bit for a moment. You can still get, get around, but man, be very, very careful. There were rolling blackouts across the state, including in Michael's house. There's no lights on in the house. It'll be dark in a few hours. The house temperatures are dropping quickly because we don't have heat. People are staying home. A lot of stores are closed. Grocery stores don't have power, so you can't go there to buy food anyway in some cases. 
and roads are slippery. And I would say Texans are good at many things, but driving in ice and snow is not one of our specialties. Michael, being an energy expert, could see the disaster coming and tried to prepare, warning people, insulating his own pipes and stocking up on battery packs and food supplies. But not everyone was so lucky. For me, I have this sort of two realities. One is the discomfort of being cold and there's no hot water and you can't take a shower and we don't have electricity for lighting or internet. But at the same time, this is what I live and breathe for a living. So it's an exciting time from an anthropological perspective as an energy observer, but a pretty miserable time as an energy consumer. The extraordinary thing about this story is that it took place in Texas. Not just because Texas is generally quite warm, but also because Texas is famed for its energy production. Texas is the energy capital of the world, so we say. We're the third largest gas producer in the world behind Russia and the United States, and we don't have enough gas. To put it in perspective, there are three grids in America, East, West, and Texas. Texas has its own grid. It has its own grid, and this happened? (laughs) I mean, this is a Texas frontier spirit. We can do it ourselves. We don't need Washington, D.C. to tell us what to do. Texas, by area, is a little bit larger than France. And by electric demand, is the same as the UK. We have 28 million people, so we have a fraction of the people of the UK, but we consume a lot of electricity per person. It's not just big. It's also at the forefront of the energy market, with a diverse range of energy sources. In the power sector, if we look just electricity, it's 70% fossil fuels. That's 50% gas, 20% coal, 20% wind and solar, 10% nuclear. A decade ago, or 15 years ago, wind and solar were 0%. So wind and solar have grown from roughly 0 to about 20% in about the last 15 years. Wow. And coal has gone down to make room for the wind and solar. Nuclear and gas have held steady in that time. But the cold spell found every part of the system unprepared. When we have a storm like this come through, 60% of our homes are electrically heated, And 40% of the homes are heated by gas or propane, that kind of thing. And the demand for electricity goes up for electric heating very rapidly, as does the demand for gas for home heating. About half of our electricity comes from natural gas power plants. Those natural gas power plants find that they are competing with homes for gas. So they can't get the gas they need to make the electricity we need for electric heating. And they also can't get the gas because the gas supply gets constrained. And the gas supply gets constrained for two reasons. One is something called a freeze-off where gas comes out of the well with water and the water will freeze at the well or at the equipment and clog the lines. So we can't get gas out of the ground into the pipes. And we have in Texas sort of a real-time gas system. We pull it out of the ground into the pipe to the power plant almost instantaneously. And so if the supply gets constrained because of the freeze, we don't have enough gas to go around. So we've lost a significant number of natural gas-fired electricity plants because they can't get the gas they need. So we have rotating blackouts to conserve electricity. And by the way, we lost a nuclear power plant to frozen equipment and a couple coal plants. And some wind turbines have ice on the blades, can't generate. Some solar panels have snow on them, so they can't generate. So the problems are across all the forms of energy, but natural gas in particular is failing in most spectacular fashion. With so many energy sources at their fingertips, it came as a shock when they all failed at once. But experts agree on the cause. We don't winterize them or we don't weatherize them. We prepare them for the hot summer, but not the cold winter. This same winter happens in northern states all the time or frequently, and their plants don't fail because they don't design them to have that vulnerability. This has been an event that I don't think anybody anticipated to be as bad as it has been. 
Alfonso Olvera is the CEO of a software startup. He's in Austin, the capital city of the state of Texas. It's completely disrupted everybody's lives here in Austin and the majority of Texas. At around two in the morning, Alfonso noticed the power had gone, but he didn't think much of it at the time. Anytime that the electricity goes out, which is actually rare, you expect the electricity to come back on maybe in a matter of hours or, or even less. But when we woke up, I noticed that it was very cold inside and the power was still out. I also noticed that my cell phone signal was out. It was impossible to drive. It was extremely cold outside. I believe the temperature, considering the wind chill factor, was around negative 15 degrees Celsius, which is crazy. This created a really, really terrible situation for people because they were extremely cold with no power, no heating, limited cell phone uh, signal, no internet, and uh, now no water. I've got to pile up dishes in the sink and in the dishwasher. I'm starting to stash them in the oven. We haven't run the dishwasher and we haven't washed any clothes. None of us have showered yet. It's been a stinky couple of days. That's Lydia Williams in downtown Houston. I think maybe one of the biggest challenges during the blackout was bathroom. And, you know, this is just the real life of you got to designate a poop bathroom. Since we didn't have water, we had filled up the bathtub and were able to pour buckets into the tank of the toilet to flush. So we were a bit on a rotating schedule for going to the bathroom. If you're just going pee to, you know, use this toilet. If you're going number two, go downstairs. My name is Sarah Triana. And I'm Mitch Mitchell. And we live with our three daughters, ages six, four, and one. Sarah, Mitch, and their three daughters live in a suburb just north of Houston. And we lost power... On Monday, around 11 in the morning, and it was out for 13 hours. I don't know anyone in our state that isn't impacted by this in some way, that hasn't lost power, or that doesn't have to boil their water. Yeah, we've heard so many stories. A friend of mine, her grandmother just recently went into care after dealing with COVID and her house was left empty and then the pipes busted and then two of the rooms, the ceilings caved in and all of the family memorabilia was just destroyed. My name's Celeste Arredondo Peterson, and I am an organizer and a campaign director for Texas Organizing Project in Houston. Celeste was born and raised in Texas. Her job involves helping low-income Black and Latino communities with issues like criminal justice, immigration, healthcare, and voter engagement. As we speak, she's in Houston, on the southeast coast of the state. We were lucky. I think we we had running water. We had electricity until Monday night. The main pipe right outside of our house that brings water into the house is busted. So thankfully, no busted pipes inside of the house. Super grateful for that. But it's looking like it'll be a while before we have running water inside of our house. There's a weeks long waiting list for a plumber. So, you know, we're scrambling to find water every day where we can. There's a huge water shortage in the city of Houston. We have a woman who's on our member board and she had a pipe in her ceiling bus. She's a renter 
And so water leaked from her ceiling into her apartment. She is in a wheelchair, so she also doesn't have the ability to be transported easily for anything. So she's reliant on on people to be able to get to her to deliver anything that she needs. She hasn't had food or water for most of this week, and she now has water leaked inside of her house. It destroyed about half of her belongings. At this point, I have not seen one member of the National Guard in the streets. That's Alfonso Alvira again. It was impossible to get food or or water. Most places, I would say 99% of places uh, where you would typically buy supplies were completely shut down. The very few spots that were selling food or water had lines around the block, and people were telling me that the lines were up to three or four hours. So imagine being in a line for three or four hours waiting to get food in freezing or sub-freezing temperatures out in the street. I think it's been completely mismanaged. That's Lydia Williams again. I got a text message telling me I needed to boil my water. They didn't send me any text messages about electricity or power or heat or here are the locations of the warming stations. And if you were unprepared and lost energy, your phone might not have been fully charged. You've got cell services that were limited. Your TV was off and who even has radios anymore? It's not resiliency. It's you have no choice but to to get through it and to survive. That's Sarah Triana again. What are you going to do? Just give up? You have to keep going each day and find a way to eat and find a way to give your children food and to make repairs. When I think about us making the repairs on our house, I think, okay, well, there goes our savings. But we're so lucky to have savings. So many people are just $100 emergency away from from having nothing. And this is an an enormous emergency and there's hardly a safety net. And whatever safety net we have is already strained by COVID. I, I don't know how people are going to recover from this. I don't know if anybody has the mental and emotional space to really process what's happened and how, how terrible it is that our family members were just trying to put on as many blankets as possible and just survive each night as it came. I mean, after the last four years, it's just it's just too much for anyone. I happen to live in a community that is predominantly retired African-American, low-income community. You heard from Chriselle Pillay at the beginning of this episode. She's the director at Home Coalition, which was set up in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, three years ago, to coordinate recovery efforts. And as we were driving home, I was just so very concerned for many of my neighbors, many who are still awaiting assistance from Hurricane Harvey. Many of my neighbors still have blue tarps on their roofs. Some are very tattered and they replace with other tarps and are cardboard just to try to sustain themselves. These are also folks that are so very resilient. Even during the storm, you know, we took water to some of my senior neighbors and they said they were okay. And even after the storm, they said they were making it work. And that's because these things continue to happen to these communities time and time again. 
it's just when winter storms hit, when hurricanes hit, when we're dealing with a global health crisis, things that impact and affect the general population, people begin paying attention. But folks in my neighborhood look at folks in a questioning way saying, why are you surprised? These issues have existed for a while. You're just getting a taste of what we've been living with for generations. Texas has been battered by the storm. But who was to blame for the extent of the damage? We'll hear from some of the state's politicians in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. I'm Oliver Moody, the Berlin correspondent for The Times, here to tell you about a new podcast investigation for Stories of Our Times. The Spider in the Web, the Hans Klopka story. His daily routine was to draft bills and write texts. One of the forgotten Machiavellis of the 20th century. He did the Nazi salute. He signed his official letters with Heil Hitler. The man who helped to lay the legal basis for the Holocaust. You can commit huge crimes and nobody will punish you if you always stay with power. And then came back to build the foundations of modern Germany. An untold number of former Nazis were able to prosper. For more than 70 years, much of this story has been locked away in classified sections of government archives. It's an important reminder of the tension between morality and state interest. But recently, those archives around the country have begun to open up, revealing their secrets. If Globka were responsible for the deportation of any Jews, he should have been tried. The Spider in the Web, the Hans Globka story, a two-part podcast, out this Thursday on Stories of Our Times. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before the big freeze in Texas was over, the blame game had already begun. We have a lot of conservative politicians who are blaming liberals from New York or California or wind turbines for the problems, even though our state's independent. We don't depend on those other states or policymakers. So there's a lot of blame to go around, a lot of anger right now. That's Michael E. Weber again. Some of that anger has been directed at the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which manages and operates the state's electricity grid. Five of its board members resigned last week. But the search for culpability didn't end there. 
our wind and our solar got shut down and, and they were uh, collectively more than 10% of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis. If the Biden administration is gonna to try to eradicate uh, fossil fuels in the United States, Every state is going to constantly have challenges like what America has seen take place in Texas right now. That's the governor of Texas on Fox News, talking in middle of the crisis and firmly pointing the finger at renewables. A stance that seemed ridiculous to energy expert Michael Weber. First of all, it's absurd to say that wind is the reason the grid failed because our grid is dominated by fossil fuels. Another reason it's absurd to blame the Green Green New Deal is the Green New Deal is a policy that doesn't exist yet. Before long, Governor Abbott was forced to dial down the rhetoric. Every source of power that the state of Texas has has been compromised. We do not rely solely upon green energy. We have access uh, to all, all sources of energy. Another thing that's kind of funny about it is the Green New Deal, for the most part, is promoted by progressive and liberal Democrats who care about the environment and modernizing the grid and that kind of thing. And Texas has been under conservative control uniformly for several decades. Another aspect of this is, at its heart, the Green New Deal, whether you like the carbon emissions aspect of it or not, is really about modernizing the electricity infrastructure. And this whole episode reveals that, actually, we probably need a lot of that. So not only is the Green New Deal not to blame, it actually might be part of the solution. So the whole thing is sort of silly. It happens when you need to have someone to blame. The state's been under conservative control for decades and it's been dominated by fossil fuels. That isn't working. So who do you blame? You'll blame the grid operator, out-of-state politicians, wind turbines, that kind of thing. And instead of taking a hard look at the true problems and taking the steps to solve it so that this doesn't happen again. Governor Abbott isn't the only high-profile Republican in the spotlight. There's also Senator Ted Cruz, a prominent Trump supporter who, when the going got tough in Texas, booked a family trip to Mexico. Senator Ted Cruz is back in Texas, admitting his whirlwind trip to Cancun was a mistake. I'd initially planned to stay through the weekend and to work remotely there, but but as as I was heading down there, You know, I started to have second thoughts almost immediately because the crisis here in Texas. Before leaving Mexico Thursday, Cruz said his young daughters prompted the trip. I was trying to be a dad. And and all of us have made decisions. When you've got two girls who've been cold for two days and haven't had heater power and they're saying, hey, look, we don't have school. Why don't we go? Let's get out of here. I, I think there are a lot of parents that'd be like, all right, if I can do this, great. It's a long pastime in Texas to make fun of Senator Ted Cruz. That's Gene Wu. He's a Democrat politician in the state of Texas. I'm the state representative for House District 137 in Texas, and that means that I am part of the uh, state's legislature. And I represent Southwest Houston in Austin, the Texas capital. When Ted Cruz jetted off to Cancun, Gene Wu tweeted about it. What has made people truly angry about what he's done is that his actions represent the absolute worst of what people believe about leaders, about government, that we're all a bunch of fat cats, that we're just in this position for the perks and the privileges, the the steak dinners and the vacations. 
But when a time when it's time to lead, when it's time to sacrifice yourself for the good of the community, when it's time to suffer with our people, that we're nowhere to be found. And it's infuriating to watch Ted Cruz fly off like that when I know that regardless of Republicans or Democrats, there are leaders from all over the state who were not getting any sleep, who are doing everything they can, who had organized our staffs to help as many people as possible to answer questions, to try to have people's power restored, to having water delivered, to bringing food as we did last night. There are so many people who are doing everything they can. No matter how little power they had and how little money they had, they were trying to do something. And the anger is just watching the most prominent, highest ranking person in our state just walk away. For Jean Wu, perhaps not surprisingly, a lot of the blame lies with the political leadership of the state. The political failure from this is about the 25, almost three decades of Republican-dominated leadership in a state. Over that time, the state has been pushed further and further towards just unreasonable deregulation of anything and everything. I guarantee that the Republicans will want to talk about anything, anything other than the lack of regulation, the lack of oversight, the, the lack of control by the government over something as critical as power generation. Because they were the ones who created this system. They were the ones who made it possible for this to happen. They, it was their policies, their philosophies, their dogma that created this environment where Texas is isolated from most other states and other power grids where Texas is not regulated, where Texas is standing alone in a corner. We're gonna to have to help people who have suffered through this, many people. There's gonna be people with immense utility bills because either their water exploded and they've leaked tens of thousands of gallons of water, or they signed up for one of those variable electrical plans that went up to $9,000 a kilowatt. And they're gonna be looking at three and 4,000 or even $30,000 electricity bills for the last few days, and they're gonna to have to file bankruptcy. We're gonna talk about how we're gonna stop this from happening in the future. And unfortunately, it's more or less in the hands of Republicans because it's, it's the system that they created and they run they control everything from the governor's office to the lieutenant governor, to the Senate, to the House, to the comptroller, to the attorney general, to the agricultural commissioner, and everything on down. Would you mind just starting by introducing yourself? Yes, ma'am. My name's Lyle Larson. I'm a state representative in the state of Texas. Lyle Larson is a Republican state politician and the sort of man who calls me ma'am. My home uh, in San Antonio, it, the power's been off most of the time, have not had water. I think the whole state at one time or another has had their power out. Lyle represents San Antonio and he's been in politics in one form or another for the last 30 years. I just bundle up. They put a lot of clothes on. It must be incredibly cold. It is, and you get fireplaces. You just 
uh, use the old-fashioned wood approach and burn some wood, and that's able to, to offset the, the cold in the house. The, the big concern is the pipes, and if you don't have the heat indoors and the ability to run your water at the height of it, we're close to 5 million homes uh, that were out, so significant part of the population. Unlike some of his Republican colleagues, Lyle Larson has gone on the record to say the state's energy grid urgently needs to prepare for winter conditions. He thinks the blame game is a waste of time. What's happened over the last four or five days, it far outweighed what it would have cost uh, to build resiliency in with a capacity market uh, 10 years ago. We know the governor of Texas has blamed renewables and the Green New Deal for the blackouts. He's since rode back a bit, but as a Republican, do you agree with the sentiment? I don't. The whole portfolio shut down. The wind and the the solar, they're part of our portfolio. Is it frustrating for you, you know, when you sort of see people within your party saying things like this? Because a lot of the public will hear it and will believe it and will think it is the renewables that have caused the power outage or that the Green New Deal is somehow responsible. It is difficult. You know, people in politics in England and in Texas and throughout the world, a lot of times they don't want to accept the responsibility of something that transpired and they want to blame everything around them. And I think the the focus needs to be to gain the confidence of the people uh, that we represent is to speak the truth and address it in real terms and deal with it. And whether you get reelected to your office or not is not as important as moving society forward. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. Uh, they're so preoccupied with re-election that they lash out at everything. And I've watched the, the parliament on TV, on the BBC network, and you have a little of that in England as well. The level of damage in Texas has been unprecedented. But there were warning signs as far back as 10 years ago that the system needed to be winterized. I think a lot of this is policy driven. I'm not blaming the people that run the power grid system. You know, they're partly at fault of the way they've handled the situation. And we'll get to the, the forensics of all that over the next couple of weeks. But the policy decision not to create a capacity market versus an energy market of just producing energy and not building resiliency in, that's the culprit here. And so we've got to go back in the next few weeks and start focusing on policies that will keep this from ever happening to future generations of folks that live in Texas. As the state turns to recovery and Texans try to undo the damage to their homes, many are also having to deal with their fury at what's happened. People are really angry because we know that they can be doing better. That's Celeste Arredondo-Peterson again, Housing Justice Director at the Texas Organizing Project. We know that they are liars and they don't care about any of us. They care about their own power and their own money. And I think that, you know, my reflections are, I'm really, I'm really fucking angry. And I think that, you know, as this continues to unfold and people continue to connect with each other and start talking to each other, there's no doubt going to be a groundswell in Texas of people who have had enough, are done with Abbott, are done with Cruz. I think this is the tipping point. For many, the path to recovery 
will be a complex one. So now that the sun is back out, that doesn't mean that the recovery is over and everyone is back to their normal lives. Here's Chriselle Pillay again on the recovery efforts in Houston. We still have, I'm sure, thousands of Houstonians that are dealing with busted pipes. Once electricity returned to their homes, they were met with not just busted pipes, but ceilings that were on the floor, damages all throughout their home. I know of someone who had eight different broken pipes in his home, floors destroyed. And for those that have homeowner's insurance, they, at this point, are deemed the lucky ones. But there are so many people in our community that simply cannot afford homeowner's insurance. And so they're left yet again trying to figure out what to do. And to add on to that, there is little to no plumbing supplies available within the city. We still have folks that don't have water because their water is shut off due to their busted pipes. Households are unable to prepare food for their families. These water pickup distribution sites are mainly drive-through. If you happen to be poor, don't have transportation or access to a car, then you likely are not able to participate. This storm just peeled back the curtain to reveal what was really going on. Never had the entire state been this vulnerable when it came to power. We know that the road to recovery will be long, just like it is for other disasters. There are urgent calls for political help with the recovery, for housing assistance and eviction moratoriums, for electricity relief, and the urgent need for winterization programmes for the state's infrastructure. I will say I am encouraged as I watch my community members pull together. They are really the bedrock of how we get through this together. But it shouldn't just be on the backs of community. We should see our government acting, our government at all levels. The cost of recovery in Texas is estimated to reach close to $20 billion, the costliest in the state's history, according to the Insurance Council of Texas. For the Republican politician, Lyle Larson, the damage is even greater. I was born and raised in Texas. We have a lot of pride, and to see something like this happen unfold, not only in the United States, but worldwide, it's embarrassing to be candid with you. You know, we pride ourselves as the largest energy state in the country, and we can't get that energy into plants to operate, to generate electricity. It's an embarrassment. And I think that that's why it's important to everybody that's in a position from a governing standpoint to take responsibility and to fix it so future generations don't have to go through this. With what used to be once-in-a-century weather events suddenly occurring far more frequently, 
and the prospects for energy looking more scarce. What do events in Texas tell us about the future? Earlier in this episode, you met Sarah Triana with Mitch Mitchell and their three young daughters. We have just had to constantly explain to them what's going on lately, and it's, it hasn't been good things to explain. To explain coronavirus, to explain social distancing, to explain why we can't go anywhere anymore, why we can't see any friends. I mean, it's just become such a routine part of our life to explain these really hard things to them that I'm beginning to wonder what do they remember from the before times. They loved cooking in the fireplace and playing in the snow, but also to explain we have no power, now we have no water. It's just tough. It's like just one hard conversation after another, and I'm I'm just worried that this is their future. Like these extreme weather events are a part of climate change, and that is the life they're inheriting and I know we'll just take it one one day at a time and one catastrophe at a time but it's hard to keep hope I think as a parent right now You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. My guests today were Professor of Mechanical Engineering at the University of Texas, Michael E. Weber, Director of Home Coalition, Chriselle Pillay, and her daughters, Faith and Skye, who was five but is now six years old. Republican Texas State Representative Lyle Larson, who calls me ma'am. Democrat Texas State Representative Jean Wu, Housing Justice Director at the Texas Organizing Project, Celeste Arredondo-Peterson, and special thanks also to Lydia Williams, Alfonso Olvera, Sarah Triana, and Mitch Mitchell. You can read more coverage from America at thetimes.co.uk. The producer today was Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.